Great question. The Manufacturing Podcast offers news and information for the people who make, store, and move things, and those who manage and maintain the facilities where that work gets done. Please enjoy the audio from this live stream recorded on January 25th. Hello, good morning or good afternoon, depending on your time zone. I'm Robert Schoenberger, Editor-in-Chief of Industry Week, and welcome to Production Pulse, our bi-weekly live stream where we talk about issues important to the manufacturing world. And today we are talking supply chain with a group of my fellow editors from Endeavor Business Media, Industry Week's parent company. I'd just like to go around the room here. Uh, first, we have Kevin Jones from our, our fleet. He is editorial director of the Fleet Group, which includes Fleet Owner and Bulk Transporter and several other great magazines. Uh, next to him, we have Tyler Fussner, and Tyler is with Supply Chain Connect. And he is also the chief editor for a new product. We have the uh, Market Moves Supply Chain Newsletter. So if you're looking for a, a newsletter to give you, keep you updated on all things of supply chain, uh, we'll have some links for that later. Uh, we have Adrian Selko, who is a former Industry Week editor and now spends her time with Material Handling Logistics, uh, one of our, our great uh, partner brands. And to my right is Anna Smith, who is with us here at Industry Week, who's done a lot of coverage over the past year of issues dealing with the Panama Canal and is now looking into what's going on with the Red Sea and uh, shipping issues there. So welcome, everyone. Thanks for taking the time to talk today. Uh, and we're going to start it off with Kevin. Um, yeah, trucking uh, 2022 was a really rough year for the supply chain. We had uh, rising spot rates for the shipping market. We had supply, supply chain issues with uh, semiconductors and parts shortages all over the country. How was 2023 in comparison? How did the industry do? Well, uh, freight rates spiked in 2022, so everybody was living high on the hog and on the trucking side. Uh, lots of people jumped into the market uh, to take advantage of it. But then 2023 rolled in. Uh, the rates had plateaued and started coming down as fuel was going up. Um, and, but this is typical for trucking cycles. Um, everybody jumps in when the markets are great and then they get run out when the markets are poor. Uh, but on top of that, we also had supply chain issues, which helped uh, in terms of uh, the actual new truck availability keep capacity down some uh, because fleets couldn't get all the equipment they needed. Um, so, you know, that contributed to it. So it was uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, the just the demand was there, the pent up demand. But on the other, we, it couldn't be met because uh, the equipment wasn't available uh, due to the supply chain, supply chain shortages. Um, you know, overall, uh, just in terms of the equipment cost, uh, transportation equipment's up like 20 percent. Um, but as an economist at uh, uh, an industry event I attended this week said, so was cereal and salad dressing. Um, you know, the difference is that uh, trucks and trucking equipment are part of the supply chain as well as being an end product. Uh, so all those costs come down to the carriers. Um, and if you don't have the capital to keep buying your fuel and buy your equipment, you're going to go out of business, um, which is a typical cycle for the market. So. I guess the, the takeaway from 23 heading into 24 is uh, freight trucking is looking forward to kind of return to the normal cycles after just the who knows what was going to happen uh, 2022, 2023. Right. It's, it's, it's been several years of chaos. Even uh, pre-COVID, 2019 was an odd year, too. So it's, it's, it's been a long time since we've been in a normal world for manufacturing, for shipping, for logistics, for just about everything. So. Who knows? Is 2024 going to be normal? We can hope, I guess. 
moving on, uh, Tyler, uh, you, you've been uh, in, in the supply chain world with a lot of these issues right now. Can you give us your take on what was uh, 2023 like? How, how did it compare uh, to, to previous years? Sure. So I think 2023 can be can be seen as uh, shifting to recovery, um, maybe out of the survival mode that was the last few years with COVID uh, preceding that. Um, the supply chain was given the biggest spotlight it's had in recent memory due to COVID. And because of that, I think 2023 also brought in a lot of digital transformation for businesses. And that trend's going to continue well into 2024 and beyond. Um, a lot of the lessons learned uh, before 2023, I think, really came down to supply chain visibility and data availability. So everyone realized how much more insight was needed throughout their supply chain, top to bottom, from sourcing raw materials all the way to getting end product on the shelves. Um, so a lot of investments were made into supply chain visibility software and technology to help these business businesses manage their supply chains. Um, Another major trend was geographic diversification. Uh, a lot more onshoring announcements were made, uh, regardless of industry. And there was a big attempt to seek various sourcing partners. I think, uh, again, lessons learned from COVID. Uh, everyone didn't want to be tied into one or two sources. Uh, there was a, a, big, a big need for diversification. Um, if you want to take the electronic component and semiconductor industry, for example, uh, just last month, Samsung announced uh, an investment of hundreds of millions of dollars in new facility in Japan to focus on like advanced chip packaging. Um, and this is following the United States urging their allies to work together and, and help counter China's technological prowess of uh, and reliance for a lot of uh, a lot of market avenues. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that came out of 2024 that we can follow this year. Uh, was the inaugural convening of the White House Council on Supply Chain Resilience. Um, so the Biden administration announced a ton of new actions that they're going to be taking. I actually wrote some down. There's many, but I wanted to highlight a couple that I think we should keep an eye on this year. Um, the cross-governmental supply chain data sharing capabilities. There's going to be major investments made into that. Uh, there was a launch of a quadrennial supply chain review the Department of Homeland Security launched a new supply chain resilience center. Uh, the DOT is launching the Office of Multimodal Freight Infrastructure and Policy. And the Department of Commerce is convening a supply chain data and analytics summit uh, in, th in this summer. So I think there's a lot of investments being made into the supply chain. 2023 was, like I said, more of a recovery, but also I think everyone had to put their heads together and figure out how do we not perform the way that we did throughout COVID? Um, and how do we really build up that resiliency? Yeah, here at industry, we've written a lot over the past year about uh, onshoring and nearshoring. And we've seen huge growth in Mexico from people trying to shorten those supply chains, which will have an impact in the future, but it's not necessarily going to make the supply chain job that much easier, given that you're still going to be moving a lot of material from one part of the country to another or from the southern you know, across the southern border. Uh, but it will eliminate those big Pacific crossings. And so it's, it's, it's going to be something to watch. It'll be an interesting year. Uh, Adrian, moving on to you, uh, you, you you're with the MHNL side, and supply chain was a huge thorn for manufacturers in 2022. 2023, any better? Well, maybe. <laughs> 
Um, I'd say it's a mixed bag. On, on the optimistic side, a re recent HSBC survey reported that the historic series of supply chain shocks that have rattled the global economy for three years has subsided. Uh, they noted that delivery times are falling, port congestion is close to normal, product shortages are receding, and global inventory levels are rebalancing. In agreement with that, the S&P Global Market Intelligent study said that 2023 was a year that supply chains returned to normal, and its Global Purchasing Manager Index showed that global manufacturing supplier delivery times in May of 2023 was the fastest since 2019. Generally, rates for trucking, ocean shipping, and other transportation fell last year as consumers moved from purchasing larger ticket items to the smaller uh, priced items, you know, some of that due to inflation. And last year, supply chain disruptions dropped by over 50%. However, that's until we had a big, huge disruptive event in the Red Sea. Um, according to Jonathan Gold, VP Supply Chain for the National Retail Federation, he says attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea and the disruptions caused by those attacks have once again created volatility in re retail supply chains. And of course, retailers are working with carrier partners on mitigating uh, strategies to limit the impact. Um, one factor is that it's not the holiday season, so the disruption is probably smaller than it could have been. Um, however, the increase in lead time will result in cost hikes. And according to Balika Somalia from Kearney, she said if the Red Sea situation continues, retailers may end up seeing longer lead times for products. So right now the retailers are watching and adjusting Q2 forecasts in their holiday forecast. So I'd say pretty volatile right now, um, but it's still early in the year. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little more about what's going on in the Red Sea in just a minute with Anna here, because it, it has been dramatic how quickly that developed. It, Really, you think of the between what's going on in Panama and uh, the, the Red Sea, we, we had these two massive uh, early 20th or mid 20th century uh, construction projects, the Panama Canal and the uh, Suez Canal, uh, to, to make it easier to ship things globally. And neither one of those is really working the way it's supposed to anymore. So it's, uh, it's really upsetting a lot of the global trade. So let's move on now to that, that, that outlook. Let's, let's start talking a little more about 24. And uh, Anna, you, you've written a lot about what's going on in the Panama Canal. Maybe you can update us on the latest from the Panama Canal, and then we can talk about the Red Sea and the Suez Canal next. Yeah, so there are um, a lot of prevailing issues in Panama um, with the uh, ongoing drought. And uh, January, I believe, marked the beginning of the dry season. And since the canal runs on fresh water, uh, it's really affected by uh, droughts and especially the uh, dry season that uh, will go on until May. Um, back in October, they initially restricted booking slots for January um, to 20, um, but since then it has been revised to 24. Uh, so we might see transit numbers increase, but that number is still significantly down from the usual uh, 36 daily transits, which obviously is causing time and money problems for uh, companies. Companies are offloading cargo onto trucks and railroads because of tonnage restrictions. Um, 
some shippers are paying to get to the front of the line, which can cost um, a lot of money. And uh, others are taking other routes around uh, Africa or South America. Um, and so where this goes in the short term sort of depends on what the rainy season will look like in uh, starting around May. Um, and longer term, it's going to more depend on water conservation efforts in the country. But um, because ships are taking uh, other routes, like I said, around Africa, South America, the Strait of Magellan, um, some were uh, going to the Suez Canal to overcome the bottlenecks. Uh, but now there's a problem there. So um, many container ships that were going to go through the Suez Canal are going around Africa in the Cape of Good Hope to avoid the Red Sea and avoid that risk. Um, but that detour I've seen adds around 3,500 nautical miles and about 10 to 12 days of sailing time to each trip to each trip, which adds, you know, extra costs and extends delivery times for uh, shippers. We've also seen companies in that area halting production and halting outputs um, due to the conflict. Um, there have been, you know, security initiatives taken on by countries, but many companies are still hesitant to send their uh, container ships through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. Um, many experts have, uh, think that the cost will end up coming down to the end user. Um, some are projecting, you know, price increases, delays, shortages in the coming weeks. Um, but the total economic impact on end users is sort of yet to be seen uh, and can be difficult to predict, especially because we don't know how long we can expect the conflict to go on for. Um, I've seen some experts say that uh, they expect shipments and the economy to start, start adjusting to um, this sort of new normal with uh, kind of, like Adrian was saying, volatile situation. So we'll just have to see how uh, supply chains for companies and just the, how the resiliency of uh, the global supply chain will respond to the disruptions. Right. I mean, we've already heard from some major manufacturers. Tesla had to shut down production in Germany briefly uh, because they couldn't get materials through the Suez Canal and had to go around the Cape of Good Hope. That's that's a lot longer. It's a lot to, you know, Africa's a big continent and it's hard to get to get around. Like you said, 10 days is a lot of time if you're operating just in time supply chains for uh, automotive plants. And uh, Tesla's not going to be the only one. There are going to be other manufacturers who are counting on those goods. Uh, and there are going to be goods coming from Europe and uh, Asia that are going to be delayed getting to parts of the U.S. as well. So always interesting to see what's going on, uh, how, how global conflicts have, uh, impact uh, trade. Uh, Kevin, back to the U.S., back to trucking. How, how's 2024 looking? You touched on that a little bit, but what's, what's yeah. your outlook? Well, um, you know, back to the uh, parts manufacturers and distributors convention where I've been this week. Um, you know, two years ago, the supply chain crash was all the news last year. Uh, it was all about solutions that were already in the work and nearshoring was definitely one of the things that got talked about a lot. In fact, uh, you know, our staff uh, visited a supplier uh, down in uh, Coahuila uh, in Mexico. Um, of course, there aren't any ports in the uh, Chihuahuan desert and rail service is dubious often at best. So, you know, in theory, this is great for trucking. Um, and a lot of truck manufacturers are also based down there already. So suppliers are relocating from Asia. Uh, the the uh, 
head of the company that moved the operations uh, down there, uh, their headquarters are in Long Beach. And he was tired of looking at all the ships when he went to work, you know, sitting offshore waiting to come in to unload. And a lot of them he knew had his his boxes on them. Uh, so he's really enthusiastic about nearshoring and he loves the workforce in Mexico. So um, that north south corridor, um, for that matter, Navistar International just built a top of the line truck manufacturing plant in San Antonio to take advantage of all this north south trade uh, with you know inputs coming down from the U.S. into Mexico and finished products coming back. So that's very exciting for trucking, assuming that we can get across the border. And that's become the bottleneck now. Uh the ports of entry are backed up. They can't handle the loads. And then the, uh, the migrant uh, situation makes it worse. Uh, so uh, pretty much optimistic. Um, we thought we had things under control before this latest round of global issues uh, with uh, the supply chain. Uh, but again, trucking thinks they're in good shape because the more problems overseas, the more things come back to the U.S. and those need trucks. Yeah, you, you mentioned the trucking situation in Mexico. I was down there last summer for a plant tour. And it, it's amazing to me how the, this, this large geographically diverse country doesn't seem to really have a strong port or rail industry. Almost everything that uh, you know, even the, the center, center of the country, the, uh, the Bahia region where all the automotive production is done, it's almost everything's coming in on trucks. Everything's leaving on trucks. Oh, very little rail movement, uh, very different from the Canada or, or the U.S. where we most of that output goes onto a flatbed of some sort and gets on gets on rails. So, uh, moving over to you, Tyler, uh, yeah, big picture. What are you? You talked a little bit about this uh, last year was good for technology in the supply chain. What do you see driving twenty twenty four? Sure. So again, I would say something to really keep an eye on would be uh, trying to monitor the announcements and progress coming out of the uh, White House Supply Chain uh, Resilience Council. Um, that is investment on a federal level that we have never seen before. And so I think we'll definitely see some, some new ideas and maybe some uh, reassurance of that investment in technology. Again, like I, I just uh, reiterated is, is the digital transformation. That investment in technology is going to be major. Um, I'm gonna steal a term that I heard from someone I was interviewing this week. It, they they used the, the phrase black swan events and that was in reference to the attacks in the Red Sea, the Panama Canal, going back to even COVID. Um, businesses are not going to be able to navigate and survive these black swan events if they don't have mm -hmm. the digital infrastructure, that data availability and transparency uh, to operate on, to make decisions on. So I think 2024, everyone has uh, heard the wake up call already to get on board with this uh, digital transformation. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, interesting thing, I'm going to focus on the semiconductor market. Uh, the IDC made a statement saying that they're going to uh, suggest a 20% annual growth rate. Um, and that's, that's pretty significant. I think we're, we're going beyond recovery at this point and I'm um, starting to see some growth, uh, some key drivers for that. I think uh, talking about Kevin's world is the transportation industry and the automotive industry. Uh, vehicles are developing at a very rapid pace and the amount of semiconductors and chips that are needed in a modern vehicle today is in the thousands. And uh, so that's gonna be a major driver. Uh, artificial intelligence and 5G infrastructure, those are gonna be major drivers for more um, chips 
and chip manufacturing. And then of course the continued miniaturization and advanced packaging for consumer goods. That's another driver. Some challenge areas, I think the biggest one is just going to be economic and demand uncertainty. There's some, there's still, you know, a lot to, a lot of metrics to watch with uh, inflation and uh, interest rates and consumer demand is contingent on a lot of things right now. So keeping an eye out on the economic uncertainty, especially during an election year, there could be some challenges there uh, with maybe some, some not so clear future ahead, but I think for the most part, we're going to see a big investment in a lot of technology-based industries and uh, it should be a, a positive outlook for 2024. Great, great. Yeah, it's it's uh, we, we see this constantly here. The, the need for better visibility into just about everything has, has been a driver. Uh, maybe that will continue. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the rise in computer chips and automotive. Uh, it, it's easy to point to electric vehicles and things like that. But just, you know, if, if you're driving a big diesel truck these days, you probably have an infrared information system in there that looks like a tablet and acts like a tablet that's run by chips your uh the the, the diesel engine itself is going to be heavily computer controlled the, the number of uh, systems just in every type of vehicle these days is going up dramatically and that's uh, driving uh last year was one of the biggest years of investments we've ever seen in american manufacturing almost entirely driven by electric vehicle battery plants and for uh, uh computer chips and uh, Kevin, you wanted to make a comment on the chips as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was ironic that you know you got ten ton, two hundred thousand dollar trucks, uh, you know, red tag sitting on staging lots because of missing microprocessor chips that you know individually, you know, might not cost a whole lot, whole lot of money, um, but you know they're very specialized and they don't play well with other chips, and uh, that's definitely was a key problem for uh, trucking. And again, that spills over to the whole supply chain. It's not just trucks can't go out, then trucks can't carry the freight that everybody else needs. So it's it's huge. So Adrian, let's uh, close up with you here. Just from the MHNL perspective, from the material handling and logistics, what does the today's output look, look, look like? You your outlook look like you talked a little bit about this when you were talking about 2023, but where do you, where do you see the challenges in 2024? I think the the disruptions are going to continue. Um, a lot of the factors that were 2023 are going to continue in 24. But I think to Tyler's point, I think the companies have really figured out the technology is going to uh, address these issues. Um, Abe Ashkenazi, CEO of the um, Association of um, Supply Chain Managers, made the statement that he sees, much like Tyler was saying, the trends are visibility, traceability, and location intelligence. And that will enable the supply chains to track the movements um, he also feels that this will have an economic effect and that stakeholders will enjoy greater access to near-time data related to orders, inventory, delivery, and potential disruptions. Um, there was an interesting article in the Harvard Business Review, <clears throat> excuse me, in November of 2023, and they were talking about what some of the bigger companies are doing in terms of AI technologies. So they were talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, Walmart, Maersk, Siemens, and Unilever. And they were all using advanced AI technologies to gain uh, greater visibility into their supply chains. Um, Unilever and Siemens are using that to find alternative supply sources on short notice. 
um, their director of supply chain excellence said that the technology can provide information that helps him respond to supply chain disruptions faster than the human buyers can. Um, another interesting way I thought they were using uh, AI is to automate negotiations. Um, Maersk and Walmart are using a system that provides chat box that can chat bot, sorry, that can quickly search for transportation rates or actually have the bot to secure a quote if nothing is available. And Walmart uses it to negotiate with their tail end um, suppliers. Um, as far as looking a little further into the future, Yossi Sheffi is the director of the MIT Center for Transportation and logistics, he says the companies must perform trade-offs between cost and resiliency by evaluating many factors, including workforce availability, geopolitical considerations, cultural differences, and then reconfigure their supply bases. So I think similar to what everybody is saying, you're just going to have to do things differently going forward. You mentioned labor availability, and uh, Kevin, obviously, this is a massive concern in the trucking world. It's a massive concern everywhere. There's not an industry today that is not short on people, uh, and uh, it does not look like demographics are going to help us anytime soon. Uh, the, the last couple jobs reports are showing unemployment is at record lows, and uh, the, the number of uh, people voluntarily quitting their jobs might be down, and the uh, uh, a few of those metrics, but it uh, doesn't look like there are a lot of people out there to be had. And I'm, I'm hearing lots of concern about finding people to drive trucks, finding people to man factories, finding people to, to work in warehouses. So that's uh, just like every other industry, that seems to be, it's going to be one of the big challenges in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, Robert, truck drivers, you know, perpetually, you know, there's the argument of, well, if you paid them more, you'd have more willing to work. But, you know, that that's not going to change. Um, uh, on the other hand, the takeaway from this meeting that I was this week is distributors are tired of suppliers making excuses. And the supplier's number one excuse has been, we don't have the personnel to do what you want us to do. Um, but the distributors are, are tired of hearing that and they're tired of hearing it's going to get better tomorrow. So that was that was kind of the takeaway that uh, I had this week. Well, thank you, everyone. Thanks for spending time with us. And again, if you're out there in the audience listening, you want to get more regular information on the supply chain world, we do have a Market Move Supply Chain, which is our new newsletter. It uh, gathers information from lots of different publications around Endeavor Business Media. So you'll see things from Kevin and Adrian and myself and Anna and Tyler and large number of other editors throughout our company who are constantly looking at issues that affect uh, the economy and affect the, the shipping world. Thanks for your time today and have a great afternoon.